Welcome back to Fly in the Wall. We are honored to be with our guests again and uh, with this new episode. So kind of going around the room. Dr. Andrew Sodergren with Rua Woods Psychological Services in Cincinnati. Dr. Matt McCall out in Denver, work at Catholic Charities. Dr. Jerry Creed at Transfiguration Counseling in Atlanta and on Souls and Hearts. I'm Dr. Peter Milanowski, clinical psychologist in Indianapolis, Indiana at Secure Foundations and also here with Souls and Hearts. Uh, I'm Dr. Mark Glafke. I'm in Lafayette, Indiana. I have a private practice there. Dr. Eric Adan at Integritas in Indianapolis, Indiana. Dr. Peter Martin at Catholic Social Services in Lincoln, Nebraska. Dr. John Cabwalder, Central Psychological Services in Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you've been watching uh, Fly in the Wall before, you'll notice that we have two new um, uh, members here, Dr. Martin and Dr. McCall. So welcome, guys. Yeah, it's Thank great you. to have you here. It's really exciting to have both of you here. Thanks so, for having us. Yeah. Well, we have a big topic to today. We're going to discuss uh, feelings about what has been going on in the church and different scandals or different struggles with the church. Uh, with the fallen human elements of, of the, the church, church. The not fallen, the mystical body, not so. the mystical body, but the fallen, <laughs> the disappointments, the scandals, the the misbehavior, what that brings up in clients, and also, more importantly, or more interestingly, in some ways, right, maybe for this show, what it brings up in us, mm-hmm. how we deal with that. So, we have our esteemed guests here. See where this goes, and welcome all of our audience. <clears throat> fly in the wall. I suggested the topic, so I guess I can <laughs> say something. Um, I had a very odd reaction when the most recent round of scandals broke out. There was almost a sense of relief uh, mm-hmm. that it's public. Uh, because I think, as a therapist, you do hear a lot of the dark underbelly uh, it within the church. And um, it, it just wasn't really talked about outside very much. And so when I heard that, well, I mean, obviously the scandals are horrible, um, but I thought that there was some purifying uh, element going on to get it out. For everyone to have to face, yeah, we got real problems. Um, There's a lot of wounds. Priests aren't perfect. Bishops aren't perfect. So for me, actually, there was a little bit of like, okay, now Everybody knows that it's not a secret. Um, and that's like the one thing that I do hope is that we just have a very honest look at the humanity within the church, basically. When you mentioned the scandals we're in recent ones, mm-hmm. what exactly are you referring to now? The, the Pennsylvania scandals, um, McCarrick. Gotcha. Um, yeah, just everything that came out about mismanagement uh, up at the top levels and uh, there's there was a whole lot actually uh, with the Vigano letter even mm-hmm. uh, that was a huge um, had a huge impact mm-hmm. uh, on the church so I'm curious how you guys handled it when a client or patient comes in disturbed by this kind of news yeah 
Yeah, mostly try to uh, just listen and validate where they're coming from. Um, you know, oftentimes there's um, shock and disappointment, disappointment in our leadership, uh, things like that. Um, and in, in some cases, kind of like you were saying, a sense of relief that stuff's out in the open. I, I certainly personally resonate with that, too, um, because I think that, um, you know, Obviously, in our work, we can't work on things unless they're brought out in the open. Mm -hmm. And the same thing for the church as a whole. It's necessary for our growth, even if it is painful. Yeah, I've had several patients that uh, were not victims of uh, abuse within the church themselves, but were victims of other forms of abuse in their life. And for some of them, maybe they had a, a reversion to the faith or a conversion to the faith that was really part of their healing process. And looking at the church, obviously, in terms of like a, you know, stable factor as a as a trustworthy parent, that was really disruptive for yes. them. I don't know how much you know, you all encountered that, and so that was painful, but it was also really a rich opportunity to kind of like see what was still remaining and like where there were limitations or ability to feel real comfortable and secure with, you know, relationship structures in in, in general. Um, but I, I also saw it a bit of, it sounds like as you were saying, it's a little bit of a relief in a way that as painful as it was, it's like, okay, the reality of like, yeah, in 2002 when everything started to break and there was a lot of great response to it, it's like, we still got a long way to go. And I think a lot of us were sort of under this false impression that, yeah. you know, we really turned a corner and things were really kind of, you know, say smooth sailing, but, you know, infinitely better. And it's like, no, 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 no. We can't take that view. This is this is real, and there's a long way to go uh, in terms of healing and understanding roots of issues. Um, so, so that's really helpful. Uh, it can be daunting. It's like, okay, well, you know, what are the various ways that we're going to actually tackle the problem, and within the laity, within the clergy, within you know various forms of the church. Did anyone have a response that wasn't relief, like a different kind of response? I rem remember hearing um, frustration from um, a patient talking about how it still feels, feel, still felt to her that the church was trying too hard to protect itself um, and rather than advocate for victims and the people who have been hurt. And that I found that being a difficult thing to respond to as not knowing the heart and mind of the bishop personally. So I could speak to um, um, my desire that things would have been different, would be different, to recognize there's information I don't have, and that we're trying to work with the human suffering and the injustice from where we are. Yeah, I encountered um, with clients, and also within myself, but I encountered just a range of experiences. Some were relieved that it had broke and that this is now more public and it's not something we can keep under a bushel basket and hide. But then there were others that <clears throat> they have a, a strong love for the church. And so for them, it was very difficult to kind of experience this church, which is supposed to be a loving, supportive kind of instrument of God's grace, the body of Christ, and yet allowing this stuff to continue. Um, and so they felt conflicted in the sense of they feel guilty for having these reactions because they love the church and they feel like maybe they're, they're a bad Christian and they're wrestling with that. But then on the flip side, um, feeling a lot of anger and, and hurt and then feeling uh, unprotected. 
And, and I know personally, just as a, a parent with uh, young kids, I found my, my protective side coming out a lot and figuring out how do we get active and do something as individuals, but also as a church to try to find ways to remedy this and, and to address it because it's not going away on its own mm-hmm. and it's something we need to be monitoring. And sometimes those responses we may get from the people we're working with in the sense of some of us in this group specifically work with the church in different ways in terms of like evaluations or consultation or things like that too. And some, you know, patients or clients coming to us in the sense of, do you have answers? Do you, you know, first of all, do you know things? And also, what do we do? Um, and it's tough for a lot of reasons. And certainly, you know, the range of emotions, you know, anger, sadness, disgust, etc. And looking at, you know, the body of Christ, the institutional church and leadership, trying to see things in different perspectives. Whereas before, it's just kind of viewing things as everything is lumped together with, you know, in some ways, true goodness. And also, in some ways, you know, this false idealization of where, you know, we as laity may struggle in some ways, too. We may not be privy to some of the inner workings or some of just even the broken humanity that we have within, within the presbyter, within the institutional church. So us being asked questions that we can't necessarily answer because, you know, it is so systemic or there's challenges in a lot of areas. Um, and, you know, what you saying, you know, Dr. Martin, really the, the protective part, you know, for those of us that do work with the church, I think we take that very seriously of trying to do at least what we're able to do um, in the sense of, you know, whether some part of this pruning or a way to kind of flourish, you know, the growth of good, holy, healthy priests. I've actually experienced a good amount of discouragement. Um, Never to the point where I've, you know, disconnected or felt like I'm so hopeful. Um, You know, I've kind of shifted to looking at, you know, I look at the Vatican flag. I, you know, I could see it represents a lot of pain right now, but it also the beauty in it. So it's my family. And I think now I look at it like this is still my family, the church, but it's a dysfunctional (laughs) family. It's been dysfunctional from the get go. Right. You know, I've got. Judas walked with Christ for mm-hmm. three years and still still betrayed him, and the apostles had their, their struggles. But my discouragement has come from, um, in some of the work I've done in terms of evaluations for um, candidates for religious life and talking with superiors who are making decisions about whether or not to accept somebody or move them forward. It's just like you can still see within them some, like, I don't think they really get the gravity of mental health issues that can be the seeds of much more problematic behaviors for these men and women down the road. Also, even like within some of those that are in formation, like that resistance towards uh, following recommendations for help. And I get it. Like, I get why they're like, you know, that's scary, right? You're in, you're in seminary. You want to become a priest. You don't want that to be derailed. But it's like the gravity that we really have to impose upon them and not to be overly pessimistic is like, if you don't take care of some of these issues, insecurities, anxieties, depressions now, um, they're going to blow up in a big way when you're under tons and tons of pressure when you're ordained or make your final vows. And I so my discouragement is sometimes those conversations of like that pushback and it's like when is there going to be kind of a greater acceptance I mean I'm still hopeful but those are the days when I'm really frustrated because mm-hmm. I'm like we got to have a different disposition towards us to get out of this because we can but it's it's a long road there's a, I think there's just a huge underappreciation for human formation 
mm-hmm. in general. I mean, in our culture, in right. our church, in general. And, you know, and it frustrates me when we look at corporate, so what I think of as sort of corporate solutions. We're going to have this video that everybody's going to watch if they're going to volunteer for the diocese or, you know, all of that stuff. And we're not talking about what does it mean to be formed on a human level and what does it mean to be formed on a spiritual level. And that's what gets my goat. And I can get kind of angry about that. Uh, and I, I have to avoid reading some of the stuff because I just, I can get really tightly wound around, like, how much more work has to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as I'm reflecting on it more, the when the scandals broke out on the East Coast, it didn't affect me as personally as when I had a client mm-hmm. who had an experience with a priest. That made mm-hmm. me much more angry, much more disgusted, um, because it just came home like, oh wow, this really happened to, you know, my client. Uh, <clears throat> well, I know that for me as a survivor and as an advocate for survivors. It's really difficult to see um, kind of a shift where you think, well, it's this isolated event or it's these pockets to the problem is systemic. The problem is pervasive in a way that we hadn't really imagined. And so then there's this sense of, well, the reaction to the problem is also underwhelming. And so then, for me anyway, I go to a place of saying, well, where are the heroes? There's no heroes in this story. Like, we can't depend on the pope or the bishops or something like that, like, to step in and do something heroic to change or to advocate or really even act like they get the problem. And and they don't. And so there comes some disillusionment and a sense of disengagement, and it's and, and almost, it can lead to some despair a little mm. bit, where you just think, wow, it's just hopeless, like, this is, because we can idealize the church, too, uh, mm. members of the church, and think, like, they're going to solve all our problems. And then it hark- it takes me back to previous scandals, right? Mm. <laughs> we can, I'm not going to name them, but, the, but there's been a few that I've followed, that, you know, there were a lot of people that could see it, and nothing was happening in some of the previous scandals, and then even when it broke, it felt like the response was still underwhelming. And you thought, wow, has the church learned nothing? <laughs> right? And so it can really lead to negativity. And then you have somebody come in dealing with that issue, and I have to put that on a shelf. Mm-hmm. Right? And just sit with that person and just try to empathize and understand and not bring my stuff to that. Because that wouldn't be that wouldn't be good practice. I think a lot of the people I've worked with, though, and I've really had a sense of respect and appreciation for this, of where they have a lot of natural reactions to what happened. But my appreciation is for those that are still trying to wrestle and still trying to engage. And I think, you know, those folks, we know we have the privilege of working with because I still see as long as they're they're wrestling, they have a sense of this is important. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes what we see maybe professionally or even outside of like the consulting room kind of thing, or people we run into in mass or just people we know personally. And those are the ones who have just left and haven't really, you know, to whom shall we go? You know, okay, well, I'm just leaving. I'm done. And those, to me, I think, are unsettling for other kinds of reasons, too. The sense of sadness of that because, I mean, you know, really the, the importance of the love of the Lord and our faith. And because of, you know, mistakes or bad things that people have done, which have really harmed people, um, you know, they've essentially have left. 
that isn't something which is new, but I think there's also, you know, at least the people we're working with may still be trying to, mm. to work through it. Yeah, I think there's encouragement too, though, that and there's a lot of resistance towards incorporating psychological approaches into the into formation. But I, I can see that, at least I don't know what you're all experiencing, but I, I feel that there's a trend moving in the right direction. Um, that you know, as Dr. Malinowski is talking about the development, uh, particularly of the clergy, that uh, getting greater breadth of like you know, the intellectual, spiritual, pastoral, and human formation. That there's less resistance towards counseling. <laughs> Now, counseling isn't the answer in and of itself, but boy, it can be a very vital tool um, towards understanding the self and, and anything that could actually end up later result in problematic uh, relational issues, sexual issues, uh, burnout, um, depression, and anxiety. And I can see uh, there is more and more of an openness. I'm just, you know, selfishly, I'm trying to push that along a little more. You want to see more of a, a receptive attitude and... Uh, uh, but it's coming, and I think what I'm really excited about is I think that those uh, men and women religious who do engage process of counseling, for example, and they have good experiences and it really helps them to develop and feel a greater freedom to discern and to handle adversity, uh, they're promoters of it with those that they minister to, and the stigma you know, re- reduces further. And well, it's not seen as a barrier to happiness, but actually as a path to it. Well, and I think, you know, there is the sadness of where tragedy has to occur for us to either to become aware or to respond. Mm-hmm. And I think it leads us to, I mean, we, you know, as a group, you know, as professionals or, or colleagues, in the sense of where what we've been trying to promote still being true, of where when crises happen and they go to the mental health people, give us answers. Well, the answer has really been what we're promoting, which is health. Mm-hmm. You know, physical, mental, and spiritual health. And as far as, you know, good formation, that has to be some part of that. And what does that mean as far as, you know, obstacles currently in the past is that we try and get past some of the stigma. Of where, you know, when you have, you know, some kind of virus or some kind of concern, a broken leg, you go to the physician. But when you have other kinds of, you know, struggles emotionally or otherwise too, what do you do? Well, you know, tough times and tough people will get through this. Or a sense of fear, I just have to kind of get through, you know, seminary and I'll be ordained and everything will be fine. Mm. It doesn't work that way because, you know, we have mm. to be able to, to acknowledge our own need for care too if we're going to be able to give it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the human formation piece is so essential. It, it is undervalued. and um, But my sense of the scandals, most of them, I would say, my sense of it or my read of it is that it is primarily a human formation issue. Certainly the priests that are doing this stuff uh, are probably not praying as much, probably not as deeply spiritual and connected to God as you know we would like them to be or, or maybe they should be. But when it comes to like the human formation issues of crossing boundaries, one little boundary here leads to the next one. Or when it comes to uh, other types of issues like addictions or things like that, those are those are very much human formation related issues, compulsivity. Certainly, they have some type of a spiritual component. But at a base rate, if we really believe as a church, which is church teaching, that grace informs, transforms, and perfects nature, well, what if that nature has so many wounds and has so many compulsions and things like that that those pathways for the grace to reach uh, the person and and those outside of them are so crooked or whatever, 
you're going to have problems on many levels. Uh, you could say on all levels. And so I do think this is, this is a time to step back and reflect on how, how critical human formation is mm-hmm. to prevent these kinds of things. Not only treat them as they happen, but to prevent them through assessments and other things so that, so that the people that are, are really suffering, the victims of this, uh, are not going to become the victims, that, that we, we avoid that issue as much as possible, prevent it. So, Dr. Um, Martin, I appreciate that, actually, and I do agree with you, but I will add something to that. I would, you know, as a marriage family therapist here, the only one here, um, from a systems perspective, there is a bigger systemic problem in the church that goes beyond the individual human formation and the individual even uh, spirituality, and there's a bigger problem in the, I don't know if it's the, the way networking happens in the clergy or the way people are groomed within within even before seminary or various things going on that has been widespread. And in a way, if we don't address that problem, and maybe it's being addressed, maybe that issue is something that was more prevalent, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, there may have been changes. And now we're just, you know, we're experiencing the results of you know, the consequences of the past, because I do think there have been some positive changes. But, um, and I do actually have a lot of hope, and I would say I understand your relief comment earlier on, in part because I think there is a call. And I know I was saying a little bit, a little bit negative earlier in some of my comments um, in terms of despair, but that is actually alongside with me a sense of hope because I do work with seminarians, I do work with priests, and I see a difference. They're not, this, it's a difference. There's a real difference. And these guys are suffering because they are feeling called to holiness and they are trying to make a really big difference and they're really trying to live their vocation well. And they are open to counseling in ways the previous guys were not. And they want to work on their formation and yet they're stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And yet they're still living with priests <clears throat> from that maybe previous hierarchy or bureaucracy mm-hmm. or way of doing business. <clears throat> and they're feeling very, sometimes mm-hmm. very trapped in that. Yeah, I think that as Catholics, it forces us to be quite humble, um, just because we're presented with all the failings within the church, and uh, from the from the bottom all the way up to the top. Um, and I think that that is a good thing. I think it's good to approach the world with great humility, and not thinking that we're somehow better or have everything solved or everything together, um, but that. <laughs> We have a lot of work to do on ourselves, while also we believe in Jesus, and and uh, that's something that the world needs. He's someone the world needs. Um, so I, yeah, I do think that that's a very good, a good um, corrective for the church, where um, perhaps in times past we've been a little bit too confident uh, that we have, you know, every answer. Um, the church is is really perfectly composed or uh, organized. The lack of focus on human formation in the church, I think, is one of the things that makes um, Catholicism hard for certain other mental health professionals to embrace. Because they're going to look at human formation. How do we do with human formation? I know one of the ways that the scandal has impacted me is I do a lot of trainings that are secular in nature, and there's some heat that comes about and some confusion, like how can you be Catholic? Yeah. You know, like how can you how can you be affiliated with an organization that is that dysfunctional? You know, because they're looking at the surface, they're not looking at it spiritually. 
you know, so that that has actually impacted me. And I've had some folks and some of the trainings that I've, I've I've been at like be refreshed by the the fact that I could be in this training and there could be love there and there could be you know kind of a connection and so forth. So it was one thought I had. Um, the other thought I had was that we're really battling against like the the loss of family integrity. You know, the kind of upbringing that goes back to birth or even before birth, you know, the circumstances under which, you know, uh, you know, babies are conceived, you know, and the way that they raised up, you know, that they're raised up with the lack of fathers, you know, in a lot of homes, the lack of um, stability in a lot of homes. And this is like kind of new, like in the last 50 years, you've seen like a kind of collapse. And so I think that's also something that's we're starting to see the fruit of, you know, within the church as well as in the broader society. We're not immune from it, uh, from that either. So I think it's a much bigger concern than just the formation of priests and religious. It goes back to that. And that also doesn't seem to be getting enough attention. So I, I think that, I think we're trying to climb up as a church. We're trying to climb up a, a landslide. You know, we're trying to compensate also for all these societal, you know, kind of broader trends. That's an excellent point. I would add to that working with seminarians of where you get the sense of where young men who mean well, but are developmentally so underdeveloped, or that socially, relationally, their sense of self, um, a lot of that yeah, emotionally in the sense of it could be, you know, the poverty experience, not necessarily financially, but relationally within the homes, a lack of stability that you're talking about too, of where Goodwill doesn't solve everything. Do you able to enter formation? Do you think they're looking for spiritual answers to psychological problems? I mean, how big of a problem do you think that is, especially the guys that do those kind of evaluations? I, I think the concern of those folks is the over-spiritualization, and because of they are underdeveloped, there's a real fear of actually looking you know, more closely at right. themselves in the sense of where am I coming from, what is my family of origin, what is my own brokenness, and can I actually look at that more fully? So some of it's ignorance, and some of it, I think, is resistance, guardedness of where, you know, well, again, if I just kind of pray it away. Right. That's part of the old way, I think, you know, that got us into a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a natural resistance. What I'm encountering is that people are very open to talking about, hey, how do I stop a given behavior that people can objectively identify as sinful or harmful, like pornography or masturbation. People, and this is very human, are very resistant to looking at or even conceiving or under, accepting that there's some underlying issues. Because to look at that, boy, is that scary, because it can bring up all kinds of like mm. discomfort and fear and self-doubt, like, you know, can I actually overcome this? And I think the more that we're presenting approaches well, good feedback, good assessment feedback, then approaches that can give people hope and encouragement that it's safe to look at those things. It's not going to crush them emotionally or in what their goals are. Um, I think we can make a lot of headway. Um, it seems daunting, like, in terms of the numbers of souls to interact with, but I think what gives me a comfort is just like, well, I can really focus on as a soul that's in front of me, you know, in a, in a therapy session or as a seminarian. It's like... God just gave me this opportunity. I don't have to fix all of it. I just got to work with this one soul. And if that soul can utilize that work, use their free will to be really free to love and to receive love, well, then that has just such a ripple effect. And that's where, like, my sense of, like, encouragement and excitement just increases. Well, I would add to something you said, you said Dr. Glafke, is that 
that's a real danger in the sense of where when seminarians or even the formators have this sense of expectation, here is the symptom, go to the psychologist, the therapist, and get treated. So in the case of you know, using your example of pornography, well, pornography is a serious problem. It's grave matter. But it's something where if we don't understand <clears throat> trying to see what is beneath that, what is the root of it, we can have this checkbox kind of approach of where, you know, so-and-so has seen the psychologist. They're not having these problems as far as the issues of impurity. But we know what the root of it is. It's lust, right? <laughs> right, Dr. Cadwell? Isn't it lust? Isn't that what That's it all is? That's all it is. Well, well, I mean, isn't that all it is? I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, lust, lust removal therapy. Lust, lust, lust removal right. therapy. That's what we, uh, but that's well, a, you don't even need therapy. You just need virtue. Yeah, yeah. That's right? 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 But I would even take it further. I don't think the average guy who hasn't dealt with his anxiety issues or this or that formation issue is going to abuse children or or peder- I think most of this issue is pederasty more than it's pedophilia. But it's they're not going to naturally just deal with their issue normally by doing that. I think that this issue is a it's a there's a systemic issue as I keep saying. It's kind of like a cancer, and where kids are vulnerable is where they're going to get harmed. And it's not just in the church, right? We, the, why the, all the stuff the Boy Scouts right now, the Boy Scouts uh-huh. are bankrupt right now. It's because there's a place where children can be put in vulnerable places. This is a, the sex abuse in the church. I'm from Canadian. We were dealing with it in the 80s with the Newfoundland, Newfoundland issues and the other ones in Ontario. They were vulnerable kids, orphans and you know juvenile delinquents and various kids sent to places where they were vulnerable. And when we don't put something in place to protect the vulnerable, this kind of thing is going to happen because predators who themselves, some portion of vulnerable people who are abused, you know, and never get help and never do any, you know, can become, not all, I'm not saying that, I'll not even say the majority, but some enough can cause enough damage that, that it creates a cycle of abuse. And we've had a cycle of abuse in our church, and I think it's gone on way longer than 50 years, and it's been protected and covered up. And now, because there's complicity across the board, or not, I'm not saying everybody, but a fair bit of complicity, that there's systems protecting each other and preventing healing and preventing change. And I think that hits people in a whole different way when they realize because I can get, I can understand this one guy has his own issues and this is what happened in this situation. But I have a much harder time dealing with the... When any one of 20 people could have stopped that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, because yeah. that's what the system is, right? It's, it's you know, where anyone... It perpetuates right. it. It doesn't even, it's not even trying to stop it. It's actually right. the problem. Right. Um, you know, and, and I'm glad, Dr. Crete, that you're taking the macro approach to this, the whole systemic approach, because I think, I think we do a disservice to the, the degree of the problem that we have now if we just focus on the micro, we just focus on the individual who crossed boundaries or committed grave you know, uh, issues with kids and, or, or teenagers in particular. Um, I think that's necessary. I mean, I, th- I think you know, the old adage, uh, was it hurt people, hurt people. And I think if you have dysfunction, if someone comes to the seminary and they have some serious wounds that they haven't been addressed and they get into a dysfunctional system, that's only going to contribute to more problems. And then when they go into the priesthood, that's, they're just more prone for issues later on down the line. You have to take a macro and a micro approach. If you don't, you're not considering the spectrum of the problem. And, and ultimately, you will be unsuccessful in doing something that, that can adequately address it. 
uh, you definitely have to do do both end. Right. And one thing, what I can possibly do with a client, especially if I have a client comes in who has been abused or is really struggling with this, is there is some reality. And I know at least in, in my diocese in Atlanta, there's been some major changes, some really good systemic changes, really good things to protect, really good accountability has started to happen. It's not perfect. <laughs> Nothing would be. But, but they really are doing some things differently. <clears throat> and so that is some hope. Because I don't think we're going to have the same issue 30 years ago that we, you know, we're having now that could have been stopped, maybe could have been stopped 30 years ago. But also, I think it's empowering to be part of the change. Mm -hmm. So there might be something that this patient can do. Maybe it's small. But to contribute to making a difference that's positive in the church. And I feel like that is a totally different place than just, I'm a victim of a system that's, or, you know, of, of, that's gone wrong and, and I have to run off and leave the church to somehow have, hold my conscience together or something. Um, but no, I can actually be part of the solution. And I think that is what the laity is being called to in this day and age, mm -hmm. right? It's to, a call to holiness, a call to making change, a call to healing. We're coming up against the end of time here, so let's just do final thoughts. Let's just go around final thoughts. Dr. Cadwallader, final thoughts. I think it's an issue that's painful, I mean, personally and also those that we serve. Um, and I think because it's so painful, it shows how important it is. And our love for the church, our love for the Lord, and trying to still do good, I think there is a sense of excitement and hope. And I do think, as many things, so plants or things that live that are diseased or decayed, when you remove that, it flourishes, it grows. And I think that's really the time that we're, we're going into. Dr. Martin. Yeah, I, I like the call to try to find ways to, to, to do something to change. I, I like that. Um, I, you know, I think, of, I think of Peter Levine, and he, he describes how contributing factors to trauma are high levels of distress and feeling immobilized, Right. And I might even add to that, uh, the issue of feeling alone uh, can contribute to trauma. And so the idea of, of understanding the experience that you have and maybe finding support from other people, but then finding a way that you can be an agent of change in the church to make it better seems, seems very helpful to kind of inch your way out of that trauma and help the whole system as a whole. Um, so uh, very hard to do, I think, if you've been traumatized, though. And so, um, but but to work toward that seems important. But I think we've got a lot of work ahead of us, uh, to say the least. Dr. Gideon. I would like to add a historical perspective in order to continue the optimism I'm hearing from my colleagues and friends about the work that to be done. And to remember um, the church has always been human, always been made up of human elements, and we've faced, um, we've experienced crises before, not to minimize the injustice, horrors, and pain um, that pastors and, and, and shepherds have been causing. But to remember um, this is part of what's been happening for hundreds, thousands of years, the limitations of, um, of our leaders, of, of us, and we're being called to be saints in this day and age. Dr. Golovsky. Um One thing that's really been uh, on my mind as we've been discussing this is that 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 goal on a macro level or on a micro level is really about like authenticity i think the goal of trying to be transparent with like 
within ourselves, within communities, within the church, within the hierarchy. And so, uh, and it's not just a challenge for clergy, it's for us as, as lay, uh, lay men and women, as professionals, but um, I really invite clergy who are, you know, fighting the good fight and feel overwhelmed about this task that we're talking about, like to get support in variety of levels and like even in counseling, like you may not feel that you are, you know, on the precipice of, you know, some uh, scandalous behavior, but like you might be burned out because it's like you feel overwhelmed. Like, how do I how do I handle this? And and uh, we want to be resources to, to help you. Uh, in that, understand what triggers for you, where you're discouraged, if you're lacking hope, um, so you can be bolstered in, in the work that you do. Dr. McCall. Um, I think it's really important to to really wrestle with the, the crisis and the dilemma and to let that sink in and actually affect your relationship with God. Like, I think you need to take into account that, yes, the church did, at least key figures in the church did some horrible things. This is God's instrument on earth. How do I make sense of that? And how does that develop or mature my relationship with God, how I view the church, how God works through the church? I think... I think it would be easy to kind of gloss over that, but I think it's really important to, um, I don't know, just really wrestle with it in, in prayer and talking with, with other Catholics to, to really try to integrate it into your faith rather than just it be a blip that you then forget about and move on. Dr. Soderberg. Yeah, so there's several things that stood out to me in our conversation that I really resonate with. Um, one is protecting the vulnerable, um, another is, and we didn't get into this very much, and that is listening well and responding sensitively to victims uh, when they come forward. Um, the whole issue of human formation, I think, is really, really vital, um, both in and out of seminary, um, but also supporting priests, uh, looking at the well-being of uh, people who are in, um, in, in priestly ministry or in leadership in the church, dealing with the human issues that they face and that's something that I think that we can collectively help with. Um, but one of the things that I, I just wanted to mention with all of this is that it can be kind of overwhelming uh, to think about all of this. And there's been times when I've certainly felt that um, over the last uh, year or more as these things have come, come to light, all the, the systemic problems in the church. And so when I feel overwhelmed like that, what I tend to fall back on is what am I called to do right here? And right now, and it's to live my vocation well, to be faithful to what my particular vocation is. And I think that's true of all of us. And if we all do that and focus on living our vocation well, then it's going to have a cumulative effect uh, for the good. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for staying with <laughs> us and this really powerful and interesting and difficult conversation. All right. Thanks to all our guests. And thanks to you for being a fly on the wall and listening in. Be still. Believe. Be, Be loved. loved. Are we supposed to know that? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, 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 that's all the ones. You missed your part, Matt.